I mean, this is not a life that I would have planned out. You know, I was climbing the corporate ladder. Like I said, I was, you know, I had certain goals in mind. I was never going to be dependent on a man. That was for sure. And here I am. I haven't had a paycheck in 24 years with my name on it. I just don't know what's best for me is the bottom line. I don't know what's going to make me happy. And I don't know where my life's going to lead. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of Debbie L. that you heard at the beginning of this here episode. And you will be hearing so much more from her and uno momento, but first things first, this ep, this ep episode is brought to you by, excuse the little blip on my voice and my cadence there, but you know what I'm saying. I started to say episode, and then I thought I'm going to switch to ep, and then I went back to episode. My apologies, that's much more than you ever needed to know about what was going on in my brain. But nonetheless, this ep is brought to you by Clinton and Kirsten and Jason and Priscilla and Kara and Mary Lynn and Laura and Jared and Tanya and Jude. Do you know what Clinton and Kirsten and Jason and Priscilla and Kara and Mary Lynn and Laura and Jared and Tanya and Jude did? Well, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the little yellow donate tab and made a, a contribution to help us keep the virtual lights on. So thank you, Clinton and Kirsten and Jason and Priscilla and Kara and Mary Lynn and Laura and Jared and Tanya and Jude. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I... John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in, so take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get cranked up. No matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are most welcome here. It is an open table for all, and we are glad that you have joined us. 
So I wanted to le- read something uh, to start off the podcast today. This was posted in our super secret Facebook group. And uh, if you're not part of that, just go look for the uh, Sober Speak secret group in Facebook and uh, ask for admission and we will get you in uh, the Facebook group. But uh, my friend actually uh, from the Frisco group, Nelson, posted in there <clears throat> And uh, he posts a lot, and it says the 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 to start it off. It says service in big capital letters can take many forms and strengthens sobriety every time you do it. And then there's a quote from the book here. It says, "Life will take on a new meaning. To watch other people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish." to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our life. That's from page 89 in the big book. And let me read that again. Life will take on a new meaning. To watch other people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. Frequent contact with each other, or excuse me, with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And then Nelson adds on a little commentary at the back of that post. And it says, it is through service that the greatest rewards are to be found, but to be in a position of offering true, useful, and effective service to others, I must first work on myself. This means that I have to abandon myself to God, admit my faults to him and clear away the wreckage of my past. Work on myself has taught me how to find necessary peace and serenity to successfully to successfully merge inspiration and experience. Very well put. Successfully merge inspiration and experience. I like that, Nelson. He says, I have learned how to be in the truest sense an open channel of sobriety. Thanks, Nelson, for posting that in the group. I appreciate you. All right, everybody. Now on to uh, the featured guest, Debbie L. And we are entitling this particular episode, Sorority Girl in the Next Per... Excuse me. Sorority Girl in the Neck Brace Doesn't Know What's Best for Herself. And this will come clear as you listen to the podcast while we title it that way. Debbie was and is really a gifted and talented overachiever, sorority girl that struggled with an eating eating disorder and a sense of never quite fitting in. My favorite part, I think, is where we get to hear about her 1968 pea green convertible MG, (laughs) which she named the car from hell. And that car helped Debbie to reach her bottom. As Debbie puts it, she thought being the skinniest, blondest, and tannest girl would bring her happiness, but it did not. Debbie found AA through Al-Anon, and she is a self-described suburban soccer mom that says drinking made her 
Well, I can't complete the phrase here, but I'll start it. Prettier, woodier, and well, you'll have to listen to the episode to hear the third word. All right, everybody, buckle up. And without further ado, please help me welcome Debbie L. And we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Debbie L., who I have known for quite some time. So Debbie, why don't you go ahead, first things first, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live who are listening in. Okay, I'm Debbie. I'm an alcoholic. And my sobriety date is June 15th of 91. I My home group is the Prosper Country Group, but I actually live in Plano. So June 15th of 91. So help me with the math there, Debbie. That is how many years? That's a 30? 30, 30 years. 30 years. That is fantastic. Congratulations on 30, the big triple X. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I've always wondered this. I don't even know if you know the answer to this question. I've been to the Prosper Country Group many times. Why do they call it the Country Group? Is it because it's out in the country? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I know it started a long time before the current group is th- that is there now. Um, and I guess when they first started, it, it really was out in the country. And that's right. what they called it. Yeah. And, and people don't know this who don't live in this area, but Prosper uh, was out in the country, but it's not really country anymore. Even though there are country-ish parts of the city, uh, yes. it's uh, slowly becoming a uh, very uh, booming metropolis, I guess what you would call Absolutely. it. All right, so let me go ahead and set this up real quick, because the reason that you are here today, and we're doing interview one-on-one, is because you actually told your story at, at, the, at the Prosper Country Group, and at an event, which is called the Tri-Cities Event. Yes. And even though there's like five, six cities that are involved in the Tri-Cities event, but that's a completely different story. (laughs) Nonetheless, um, you were telling your story at the Tri-Cities event, and I participate in that. And I came up there, I was asked to record it. Uh, I came up there, got all my equipment set up. Uh, you shared your story, and and I don't know if you know this part or not, but what had happened is I wanted to break it into sections, and they uh, the there was people who came up and they did the traditions, and they did how it works, and they did the intro and serenity prayer and all that sort of stuff, and then I, I wanted to kind of give it a little break in the recording before I recorded you, so mm-hmm. I said, okay, I went up there, I got on my digital recorder, this same one that you're looking at here right now, and I... I pressed the button to stop the recording and then you were coming up and I pressed it to start again to record you. Uh And I wanted to make sure all the settings were right and all that sort of stuff. But when I pressed it the second time, I didn't, I guess, press it far enough or whatever the case may be. I didn't depress it far enough. And Uh And then I got up after you had told your story and I looked at the recorder and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't get Debbie on a recording. So so anyway, my apologies on that, but hey, we're going to get your story anyway, That's laid right. down here on That's a recording. Right. And I'm actually relieved because I ran out of time and didn't get to say everything I wanted to say. Well, good. We'll, we'll give you some time here to share your story. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> All right. So just because I was able to watch that uh, and I was able to, oh, and then we went back and forth. I, you know, I don't think I, I don't know how much of this I told you, but your husband, who a lot of people in this area know, yes, we'll might Tim. as well go m- mention Tim on, on the front end of this, because yes. you know he's going to be listening to this say, hey, talk about me a little right, bit, right? right. It's you all know about him. Is, right? Yes. <laughs> And so he gave me your, so I said, oh, you know, I, I would love to get you on, you know, a one-on-one interview instead, you know, and he gave me your cell number, mm-hmm. but apparently he transposed a couple of different numbers mm-hmm. and I was, I, I was texting the, who knows who I was texting for <laughs> a couple of weeks saying, hey, Debbie, just want to make sure you're there, you know, to make sure this doesn't slip through the cracks. Are you still interested in this? And finally, I replied to the email where it was, and you were like, Tim gave you the wrong number. I'm like, okay, now it explains it all. So yes. somebody out there in the world somewhere has been getting texts about me. Hey, you want to come on Sober Speak and tell your story? <laughs> They're probably like, what? Who is this? All right, but anyway, all right. Now on to Miss Debbie. I'll try to shut up. Uh, okay, so I, I know that you grew up in Kansas, yes. right? You ever get jokes about that growing up in Kansas, like Toto and stuff? Oh, like yeah. That? We're not in Kansas anymore, of course. <laughs> of course. Okay. So tell me a little bit about Debbie growing up there, what it was like. Well, I grew up in the middle of the country in a middle class family and uh, just really had a sense of entitlement from I don't know when, and I don't know where it came from, but I thought I should be living on a beach in a very wealthy family. And I, I have, I still have no idea where that came from, but I was always dissatisfied. I had that sense of um, dissatisfaction. My family appeared very normal from the outside. So just real quick on the sense of entitlement in your family and such, were you the only one in your family that kind of felt that way? I think so. My parents both came from very modest um, families, and my dad was pretty successful in his business, so they enjoyed having money to spend. We did a lot of fun things. We went on fun vacations, uh, went to a lot of... Kansas City Chiefs, got to put a shout out for my Chiefs. <laughs> a lot of Chiefs games growing up and a lot of Royals games growing up. Um, so they they enjoyed having the money too. We were never without. And uh, But you kind of like, uh, I guess, put a little juice under it thinking, you know, I should be on the beach living in a mansion or whatever the yeah, case may be. Yeah. Did you like, you know, kind of fantasize about that and such? or? Yeah, not that I remember specifically, but I just... Um, I, I thought there was more out there. Understood. Okay, so you're growing up in Kansas. You have this sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. You said your family looked fairly normal from the outside looking in, but then I think you put a button there. I don't... Yes, uh, things were not normal in in the home. There was no active alcoholism, but there was mental illness, um, other addictions, and I learned at a very young age to walk on eggshells. Okay, can you go into the mental illness and other addictions somewhat? Um, it's not really my story to tell. Okay. But I will just say that uh, when people talk about growing up in an alcoholic home, I can relate, even though there wasn't alcohol necessarily. And I never knew what to expect. 
And I relate to what you just said, because I grew up with a mother who had mental illness. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I first got sober, people suggested to me that you read uh, ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics or whatever. And I could really relate to that, even though I didn't have anything like that in my home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I learned to walk on the floorboards that didn't creak and to stay in my room and not make noise and... uh, so I really spent a lot of time alone as a child. Didn't want to have friends over necessarily. Didn't because I didn't know what what to expect. So, and I remember from your story, I believe you were kind of an overachiever as a yes, right? Yes, so talk I was. About that a little. So um, I guess it started in elementary school. I was identified as gifted and talented, and I did very well in school. I was made for the school system, and. I also started... When you say you were made for the school system, what do you mean? Like you could study well, real well? And- I, I didn't even have to study. Uh, oh. I was had a really good memory. I could memorize facts and regurgitate them on a test. So I always... And I got a lot of praise for that. You know, we, we reward that ability in our, in our school system. I have three kids now and they, you know, they're all different. And not all of them are made for school, for, right. our, for our kind of school system. So that's why I say it that way. So and when you were younger, did you recognize, oh, wow, I don't even have to try at this. This is easy for me? Or? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Did you, is that, I guess, I guess there's good sides and downsides and everything. Uh, so, I mean, how do you see that now as an adult? Because um, I'm assuming of, you could still do that, right? Uh, I think I've damaged a lot of brain cells. <laughs> 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 but I recognize today that that is... Um, a tricky place for me to go because anytime I'm putting intelligence in front of uh, spirituality, it's a problem. And I have a little saying on my bathroom mirror that talks about uh, intelligence is like good looks, neither are earned, you know, they're gifts from God. And yet I was taking credit for these things that I didn't even work for. And I mean, I, I, I was a product of our system, but I don't think it was, I can't say there was any virtue involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're identified as gifted and talented. I think you also, if I remember right, uh, you were in the uh, figure skating world yes. as well? Yes, I started figure skating when I was about eight. I really liked it. Um, again, it was an individual sport. I could kind of lose myself on the ice in my own world and uh, was fairly talented at it. I um, continued for eight years and got pretty serious about it. By the time I got to middle school, I was getting up at four in the morning in the dark. Uh, My dad would drive me to the rink, which was about 20 minutes away. I'd practice for a few hours. My mom would come get me, take me to school late, pick me up from school early so I could go back to the rink, practice another couple hours. And I did that, you know, six days a week. Saturdays was a lot of um, off-ice training, weightlifting, running, conditioning, dance, all of that. Wow. Yeah, I was pretty all-consuming. Yeah, so, and at the same time, you're doing all this stuff in school as well with the Gifted and Talented program. Yes, uh, and playing instruments. I played piano and saxophone and oboe. Wow. Yeah. My goodness. (laughs) So looking back on that now, was that a 
good experience, not so great experience? What did you learn from all that? I think it was good. I, um, again, I learned from watching my children. Two of them are very similar to me in that regard. And try to make, you know, more of an emphasis on what they work at and how they go about things rather than the end result. Mm. And uh, I do think it was good. I think it kept me out of trouble, you know, for those years. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't start drinking till I quit most of that stuff. So, Mm. okay. So when did the drinking enter the equation? So my freshman year of high school is the first time I remember feeling not a part of like something like I was different. And I know I'd been presented with the opportunity to drink before that. And something in my gut knew that it was wrong. Um, Something in my moral conscious, you know, kept me from doing that. But when I was a freshman in high school, I had a few things happen. Uh, I, you know, had this sense of, of not being good enough, not fitting in. And I decided that if I could just be, you know, the skinniest, the blondest, the tannest, you know, all these outward things, that I would be happy. And I would look like those girls that were, you know, so happy flinging their Farrah Fawcett hair down the hallway. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I set out to do. And uh, did get a boyfriend and did get uh, homecoming queen and an eating disorder. So that's where my... That's actually where my uh, addiction started. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got two different, it's like a dichotomy there, right? Yes. You, 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 uh, <laughs> for sure. You got homecoming queen uh-huh. and then you got the uh, eating disorder going on at the same time. Yes. And that was the start of kind of a double life that I I lived for the next eight years. Um So, you know, none of that stuff brought me the happiness I thought it would, of course. The boyfriend broke up with me uh, because I didn't talk enough. And that's a whole nother story. Um, Did he mean, like, talk to to him enough? Or to other, okay, damn. Pretty much in general. I was really, really, really quiet. I don't remember being told that before high school, but once, you know... Well, by that time, I had quit figure skating. I had quit. I was in the Kansas City Youth Symphony. I had quit that. And I was really focused on trying to fit in to the to the friend group. Prior to that, I hadn't been so concerned about it. I had missed, you know, a bunch of sleepovers and dances and that sort of thing. But now that was at the forefront of my priorities. and um, And I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have the skills. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't comfortable. I didn't know how to start a conversation or or even what to say in, with someone that I knew or, you know, had, had been around a while. So um, definitely, you know, had some issues there. And kind of when all that happened, my parents also separated. Um, how old were you there? I was 16, okay. 15, 15. And uh, it wasn't really a surprise to me. And I can't say I was really upset about it because they were so miserable. Um, but I did worry about them individually and, and how they would survive. 
anyways, uh, kind of a culmination of things. And this friend group said, you know, come out with us, come to our party. And, uh, and I did. And um, they drank and smoked pot and I jumped right in and with both feet. And um, like the big book says, you know, became the real thing within months. It didn't take long at all. Hmm. Were you shocked by that, that you were drinking, partying so much? No, I don't remember consciously thinking of it. Mm-hmm. So just kind of a natural progression. Yeah. And you stayed with that group and other groups like that for, as, as that was the beginning of right now, I'm yep. assuming, right? Yes. Until I was 22. Okay. So six years. So that So did you go to college? I did. I did. So... Um, I lived this double life, like I mentioned, um, real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I was a really, uh, quiet, shy, um, teacher's pet during the day Mm -hmm. and did very, very well in high school, regardless of myself. And at night and on the weekends, I was a party girl and I found that with alcohol in me, I could become the life of the party. And, uh, all that fear of people went away. Um, I knew how to talk. I knew, uh, how to have fun and, but I always just took it a little too far. Right. (laughs) Missed the mark. Yes. But I did manage to graduate, um, with a perfect GPA. Really? Yes. Oh my goodness. Again, I can't say it's because I studied hard and worked (laughs) at it. (laughs) Graduated first in my class, but I was not invited to give the valedictorian speech, probably because they knew I would be drunk on graduation. (laughs) They asked the salutatorian to give the speech. Really? Yes. Oh no. So it was that here in Texas? No, that was in Kansas. Okay, so you're still going. So in wait, that that was, that was high school or that was college? High school. Okay, so and then you went to college as a result of my good grades. Uh, I got a full ride scholarship to SMU. Okay, so that's here in Texas. Yes, that's when you got. That's down how here. I got to Texas. Came un- sight unseen to this school. How'd you pick it? Uh, it was free. <laughs> they actually, they offered me an amazing deal. Um, they said, we'll enter you as a sophomore, give you a year's worth of credit. You can get a BS in engineering in three years and get your MBA in the fourth year. All for free. Wow. And that was such an offer. Um, I totally blew it. I, uh, you know, didn't realize what a good thing I had at the time. I did manage to barely graduate with a BS in engineering after four and a half years. Um, but, you know, at least I got that out of it. Okay, so tell what else do you want to say about those college years? What were there relationships you want to talk about? Is there anything? I mean, just talk to me through those, those sure. college years. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, you know, I, I thought moving to Texas, I would get away from some of that black cloud that always seemed to follow me mm-hmm. and the bad consequences that always happened, which I never related to alcohol or my drinking. But I remember, you know, the first semester I was here finding people that partied like I did and saying, oh, you remind me of so-and-so back home and you remind me of so-and-so. So it was the same same situation, just different names and faces. I uh, That first semester... Um, I really wanted to fit in and SMU has a lot of money 
And there were, I was going to school with some very um, wealthy kids from wealthy families. Mm. And so I talked my dad into getting me a credit card, co-signing on a credit card, and also uh, getting me a car, even though I lived on campus and had a meal plan on campus and walked to all my classes. Uh-oh, I see trouble coming it, it here. It was big trouble. <laughs> and the, this specific car was a 68 convertible MG, MGB. And it was uh, pea green, <laughs> and I wanted that car so bad. And uh, so I got it, and it wasn't long. My girlfriend and my roommate and I were out partying one night, and the latch on the hood broke. And now the hood on this MG is very, very long, and the windshield is very, very short, And my roommate and I are very, very tall, (laughs) so our heads actually stick above the windshield. (laughs) And when the hood, when the latch broke, the hood came and bopped us on the head, flew over the windshield and kind of stayed hinged, but it, you know, tapped us on the head. And we thought that was hilarious. We pulled over and jumped out and closed it again and got back in, started driving down Lower Greenville. It happened again, and we just kept closing it. But the next day, I thought I should probably get that fixed. So uh, the guy that I bought the car from went with me. We we tied the uh, hood down with a plastic jump rope, got on Central to head down somewhere downtown. He knew where to go fix it. And just so people know, Central is a uh, uh, it's a highway, inter, you know, major highway here in the Texas yes. area. Big, big highway going about 70, went under one of the M Street underpasses. The wind caught the hood, flew it back this time. I was the only tall one, <laughs> and it landed on my head, um, broke my neck. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a scary situation. Of course, I didn't realize it at the time. Didn't realize how close I was to being paralyzed or or killed. And uh, yeah, so spent some time in the hospital. Um, couldn't wait to get back to drinking. Learned how to drink through a straw because I was in a brace, you know, that kept my head from moving. And pretty soon I was getting falling down drunk again. No time at all while I was still healing. Wow. We will be continuing our conversation with Debbie L in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, there you can find approximately, oh, what am I up to now? 200 and... Ah, 20 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listeners. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. All right, now back to Debbie. So you are, all right, so you've had this major wreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've broken your neck. Mm-hmm. You're trying to come out of that and take me from there. Well, it didn't really slow me down. I did have to drop a few classes. So that was my first um, introduction into the fact that I didn't have to take a full 15 hours every semester (laughs) to keep my scholarship. Uh, And uh, at SMU, the uh, sorority rush is delayed. It's in the second semester, unfortunately. So by January, I already had a reputation. I was also the girl in the neck brace. (laughs) So it was hard to uh, confuse me with anyone else. 
And so that didn't go the way I wanted. I did not get in the sorority I wanted to, but I did get in the one that I was a legacy to. Um, I have an older sister who had gone to school and and been in a sorority. So I ended up in there, uh, did not feel like I instantly had a group of friends. In fact, I was um, asked not to attend their social events after a few years. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I kept the car from hell as we nicknamed it. And uh, (laughs) the following year, I ended up uh, getting a DWI and... It was the night before Halloween, no big deal, Wednesday night, study break, uh, went out on Lower Greenville, got pulled over, taking up all three lanes on Greenville, and um, I had quite an attitude when I was drinking. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> You weren't the quiet, uh, I, demure girl. I was not. <laughs> and so when the police pulled me over, I jumped out of the convertible without opening the door ran up to his door, and when he said, ma'am, have you been drinking? I said, no, have you? (laughs) He wasn't so amused, but I did okay on the field sobriety test, I'm told. I was in and out of a blackout. But um, apparently he was about to let me go, and this particular police officer had reddish hair and a huge, you know, cowboy hat, and I started singing the Howdy Doody song, <laughs> which he did not appreciate. So the handcuffs went on. I went in the back of the car. Here I am, a little, you know, SMU sorority girl. I've got on a, I remember what I was wearing to this day. I had on a red sweater with a big sailboat on it, some jean shorts, and some blue leather flats. <laughs> well, that's quite good. <laughs> to go to my- Girls always remember what they were wearing. <laughs> it blows my mind. <laughs> well, when I woke, when I came to in the drunk tank, some women were talking about stealing my leather shoes. That's how I remember what <laughs> shoes I was wearing. <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, so I got my field trip to Lou Starrett. Um, I remember... Which is a local jail, for those who don't know. Yes, in downtown Dallas. I remember screaming that I had a credit card, therefore they should let me out now. (laughs) 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 And uh, I don't remember much else of that night. But I will tell you, uh, when I got out of jail, um, I had to tell my dad. And he hired a lawyer for me. And... uh, so a few months later, or whenever it was, I went to visit this lawyer and meet him. He was a dear old man. He and his wife had a little, his own little business. And I dressed up. I had on, you know, <laughs> the rough-hewn dress with, um, it was hunter green with little ducks all over it. <laughs> the neck came up to my chin and the skirt came down to my ankles and I had my little resume with me of my good grades and all my accomplishments. <laughs> and I walk into this lawyer, and uh, he looks, you know, he looks over my record and says, "It all looks good." He goes, "Well, I have a video that they took of you oh, while no. you were in jail." I had no recollection whatsoever of it, and so he popped in the VHS tape, and uh, we watched this video of I was standing there. I was supposed to be reading something on the wall. And instead, I was just screaming at these policemen in front of me and just cussing them out, using every four-letter word there is, crying, snot flying. My hair was just 
Oh, tangled no. and flying. <laughs> it was a mess. A little different than the interview with the resume <laughs> yes. you have in front of him. And I really couldn't believe it was me. That was the only time I think I ever saw myself mm. in that state. And I remember the, the lawyer turning off the video and saying, I don't think you have a problem with alcohol. And at that point, I was like, great. I don't have to worry about it. And I got off very easily, uh, unsupervised probation, a fine, and I was done. Wow. Okay, so okay, so now you're kind of off scot-free. I mean, well, yeah. considering what could have happened, right? For sure. Um, and how old are you at this point? Are you 20, 21, 22? I believe... 19. 19. Okay. So you've still got a couple more years of uh, yes. drinking ahead of you. Yes. A right? couple more years of drinking and ER visits and blackouts and all the great stuff that goes along with it. Wow. Okay. So what was your first exposure and how did you get to Alcoholics Anonymous? So when I was a junior in college, I was at a party in a tree and met a guy in that tree. <laughs> Wait a second. Just making sure you're at a party in a tree, right? Yes, okay, as you do. Right. And I met this guy and, and we kind of liked each other. And so we started dating. Now, was he in the tree too? He was. Okay, just yes, making sure. Yes. And uh, apparently he fell pretty hard, not out of the tree, but for me. For you. And the next day, he decided to get sober. I didn't really realize it at the time, but that meant he was a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but he went to AA, and, I, and he brought home his uh, desire chip, or showed me his desire chip um, a few days, or however long later. And, well, you know how we are. We get in a relationship. We move in together, right, right. before we start dating. And... Uh, I remember reading the serenity prayer on his desire chip and I just, I thought it was some joke. I thought it was, you know, some cheeky saying and I remember laughing about it. Totally didn't get it. Anyways, he started attending AA meetings and uh, I would go along occasionally to support him. Never once thought that it applied to me. So you didn't really have an inkling at the time? None. We're always the last to find out. And he had a group of friends, young people in AA that we hung out with, uh, and I made friends with them. And, you know, the one thing I really appreciate, appreciate about that is they never once, like, judged, felt, I never felt judged. I don't remember them ever talking to me about my drinking. They said they did once when I was drink, drunk, that they tried to 12-step me. I don't remember it at all. But I just felt comfortable around them. And... I got to see what their lives were like without alcohol. And that was something I'd never seen before. I'd never been exposed to. And, and consequently, my drinking became more periodic. I began to see that I could have fun without alcohol. And I would go, you know, for days, maybe even weeks without drinking. Now, every time I did go back and drink, it was just as bad, if not worse than before. Mm. And I would go on some major binge and, you know, get in a fight with him and, and ruin relationships just like I always have. But So your boyfriend at the time who you're living with and he's going to AA, is he saying anything about... No. Did you, did you, did you talk to him after? I mean, I don't know if you... Uh, no, I don't know if, if he was just in denial as well, you know? It gotcha. is a family disease, so mm -hmm. um, I don't know to this day what he was thinking. But I do know that 
uh, we were having a lot of difficulties. And one day he came home and he was so excited and he looked like he had just struck gold. And he said, I know what the problem is, or more importantly, the solution. And I said, what? He said, I'm an alcoholic. I go to AA. You need to go to Al-Anon. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and that is really how my sobriety started. I started, I didn't know what else to do. I was miserable. Uh, I wanted to die. Um, I didn't know what was wrong. I could not see that any of my, that alcohol was had any part of my problems. Um, and so I did. I started going to Al-Anon and, and coincidentally didn't want to drink. Once I started seeking that spiritual solution. So when did you make the the switch? And uh, You may still go to Alan. I, I don't know, but when did you? I don't today. I, I recommend it to a lot of people. I think it's an awesome program. So do I. Mm. I happened to get into a really fabulous Al-Anon group, the Preston group. Mm. And I'm so grateful to them to this day. But I got a sponsor in there and, and started working the steps and got to the fourth step and you know, balked a little, but finally gotten enough pain that I just did it. And the same with the fifth step. I had this sponsor. Now, she's not an alcoholic, remember? And uh, I went to her apartment. She lived in, in Lake, I don't remember where. Anyways, um, she had also been a sorority girl, and she was eager for me to get through the steps so I could start, you know, volunteering with the junior league and stuff like that. But right. um so I would go to her her apartment, and uh, I had been scared enough to to hear, you know, that you need to get everything out in your fist step. You need to just tell everything. Don't keep any secrets. And so I did. I just bleh, all over told her everything and stuff. You know, I'd never told anybody before, and she handled it so well. You know, she was not an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, she was in Al-Anon because the guy she had dated was an AA. Anyways, um, she handled it very well. She said, I still love you, but she said, I think you need professional help. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yep. So she gave me a business card of a therapist that she had picked up along the way. And uh, I finally got the nerve to call, and, and that person didn't work there anymore. But um, the man said, you know, we have this woman here that's been sober for 10 years. Would you like to talk to her? And I intuitively knew that was who I needed to talk to. So got an appointment with her, and, and she slowly, slowly got the truth out of me and and 12-stepped me into AA. Oh, okay. All right. So you're going to, so you've been going to Alan, or you're going to this therapist. She says, what, in essence, you should be going to AA. Did you go immediately? I did. She, um, I, again, <laughs> so I was back to not speaking much. Um, I didn't know how to function around people. She later told me that I was the most difficult patient she has ever had, just trying to extract words out of me. Wow. Yeah. But she did get enough words to get an idea of how much I had been drinking, and she could. Now, if you me. would have uh, drank a little before you went in there, I bet she could have gotten a lot more out of you. Yes, she would have. <laughs> but she I guess that's kind of going back a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, she. Did you go to the pressing group? I did at first, yes, mm -hmm. but he was still going there, and oh, the ex. Yes, gotcha. and he had a sponsor. We were still together for a little while after that, but. Uh, 
He, there's some sick people in AA, and uh, his sponsor kept telling him sex was the solution to all our problems. So <laughs> I think he got that mixed up with the acceptance page. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I had to get out of that, and and I moved to um, East Dallas and started going to the Lake Highlands group. Okay. All right, so the Lake Highlands group. Mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, that's where you met that guy named Tim, am I right? Yes, that was much later, but yes. Okay, the- so, so well, let's go through early sobriety. Okay. And then I want to get to your family, too, I know, right? And I know. So, uh, all right, so tell, talk me through early sobriety, and then up to, when did you actually meet Mr. Tim? Uh, so early sobriety, I was involved with the Ladies of Lake Highlands, Uh, Pretty much exclusively. They had a really strong women's group. Uh, We had two meetings a week. We ate before or after every meeting. And then another night, we also took a meeting to the Magdalene House every Monday mm -hmm. night after dinner. And so uh, that's where I learned to do fellowship. And, you know, God put me right where I needed to be. If someone had given me a big book or a workbook and said, do the the steps and you'll be okay, I would have gone home and never seen y'all again. Right. But I, he put me right in the middle of these women where I learned um, I couldn't speak when I got to meetings. I couldn't even say my name. And, you know, they helped me walk through that fear and helped me to to start to figure out who I am and, and how to express that and to be okay with being me. And that's, that's also part of the reason I wanted to have you uh, on the podcast is because, you know, I mean, I, I get a lot of people on here and many of them, uh, you know, they've been like telling their story for years in front of, you know, large groups and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I realized that you are, ju- I mean, you represent a large swath. Is mm. that a word? Swath, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Of women, especially out there. Um, who are you know may, may, maybe they're they 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 do have a hard time saying things in meetings and such like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you don't now, mm-hmm. right? I know no. you could talk now, <laughs> but you know, in the beginning, you oh, know, yeah. I mean, you're kind of a typical. I think you said it during the when I heard, saw you speaking. A, a house, how a suburban, suburban you know, soccer mom, yep. suburban <laughs> soccer mom, right? And I think that's great. And there's tons of suburban soccer moms out there. Yes. All right, so you're going through that, and I also remembered you talking about the, the your job and how that kind of took some shifts and changes oh, yeah. during that time. You know, it's funny. And you're an engineer, right? I am. I graduated with an engineering degree. What kind of engineering? Degree? Uh, the degree was in um, basically civil engineering, okay. and uh, I started an internship while I was in school with an environmental engineering firm. It was actually a large engineering firm with a small environmental arm. So I worked for them for uh, right before I got sober and till I had my first child, so for about seven years. And um, so they got to see me <laughs> evolve. <laughs> and yes, I did change um, a lot in the way I worked and the way I showed up for work. So, um, and, and you also, and I want to, I can't say this line. I talked to you about it before we started, but you also, I've heard you say before. That when you drank, and I'll let you fill in the uh, the line. <laughs> yes, I stole it from a speaker that I heard, and uh, she said, "When I drank, I was wittier, prettier, and tittier." 
And so when you took the alcohol away, I did, I felt like, you know, the gum on the bottom of your shoe. I had nothing. It was my liquid courage. So I had to learn how to do all that stuff. And I learned with AA's help. I learned with uh, professional organizations and and counseling. Or, I personally never felt tittier. You did? But, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, but, I'm but sorry. I, I, think I, I think I get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to remember when yeah. it rhymes. All right, so so let's let's fast forward to the, to the to the family and the, uh-huh. in this last stretch of you know sobriety and what mm-hmm. you have experienced in this time. Well, I can tell you the adventures don't end. That's why it says adventures before and, and after, after right? for sure. Um, I met my husband when I had given up dating. I dated for the first five years of sobriety and just decided enough. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna focus on my career and my sobriety and uh, had no intention of, of dating and walked into a meeting and he was sitting there and asked me to go to coffee. So I did. And, um, you know, he was just so easy to talk to. And he had a lot more sobriety than I did, or at least a lot more time. Okay. So what you, right. I love it. All right, so so talk about that. So you were how many years sober when I you met him? I was about five years sober, and he was and he was eighteen years sober. Okay, a little bit of a difference, but at least you know you weren't like in your first six months. No, or like I was that. not. He was not thirteen stepping me. In fact, uh, he went and asked a mutual friend of ours for my phone number. He he, I guess, was too scared to come ask me. So when she uh, introduced us and and. We started talking, and he asked me to go to coffee. I said, "Are you sure you don't want to ask Anne if if she should ask me?" So I was a bit of a smarty pants. <laughs> I was not intimidated. Let's say that. <laughs> All right. So you go to lunch or coffee or whatever, and uh, you hit it off from there. How long was it till y'all got uh, hitched? We dated for about a year before we got married. Yeah. And uh, then the kiddos started? Yes, we um, had our first child. And so I I had lived alone all of my sobriety. I had two cats. He was allergic to cats. So I got hey, rid of the cats. You know, that, that's so interesting. <laughs> that's me and my wife, it's oh, yeah? the same. Yeah, she was a big cats 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 uh-huh. and i'm like i don't care about cats you know and uh, and i'm i'm allergic to cats uh-huh. and so it was this big deal when she had to get rid of uh haley this cat and you yep. know all the tears and stuff like that and and i, I still remember all now we kind of laugh about it but it yeah. was a big deal at the time anyway so so you would live with your cats he's allergic to cats and then yep and he had a house at the time so i ended up moving into his house and uh, we had to learn to live with each other. And then um, and then we had this baby, and the baby was a surprise. And, uh, you know, I thought that I could have the baby, continue my career, and all would be fine. And what I didn't know was that this baby had special needs, and we didn't find that out for several years. But when I brought that baby home from the hospital – it was very, very difficult. Um, doctors called it colic at first. You know, they didn't sleep, didn't like to be held. And uh, anytime I walked into a group daycare setting, they would just get sick, throw up all over me. And so I couldn't, 
I couldn't leave this baby. I just couldn't. And uh, my boss was very forgiving. He kept giving me more and more maternity leave. And finally, he said, look, just stay home with your baby. <laughs> right. I'd have more respect for you if you did. And um, that was what I needed to hear to uh, to give up my career. And that was a whole learning process in itself, you know, realizing wow. how much of my self-esteem I got from my title, my job. Um, I'd been fairly successful. I was moving up the ladder. And uh, and that was a difficult decision, but I knew it was what God wanted me to do. And that is so I asked you about your shirt when you came in here. Yes. And that uh, uh, is, so can you talk about that? Or, uh, so, well, the shirt says it's not about, it's not just about awareness, it's, it's about, about acceptance. And my child has autism along with ADHD and bipolar disorder. And uh, that has been, you know, one of the biggest areas where I've gotten to learn to be selfless. And, and um, you know, when you have a baby, first of all, you can't sleep when you want to. You can't go to meetings whenever you want to. That was a big, big switch for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then to have a child that's not always reciprocal, in the affection or um, just the rewards. And, and it's, it's been a struggle. I'll tell you Um, they're 24 now and still live at home. I still drive them to school and to work. And uh, it's, it's, I'm grateful. I've never regretted any of our decisions that we've made, but it has definitely been one of my biggest uh, growth opportunities in sobriety. You had two other children as well, correct? Yes, we later had a daughter, um, and then another surprise, <laughs> just 14 years ago. Yeah. So, they're spread out. All right, everyone's spread out, so quite the family life there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, if you were to sum up your story in regards to a, I guess, a theme or a, uh, a a central story that, that that you want to get out there. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. think about the people out there who are listening to this. There may be some people on the edge of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, they don't really know if they want to join. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be some people who are just struggling. We have a lot of people who aren't alcoholics who listen to this as well. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your experience, strength, and hope in terms of a, a theme for your life and what you want to put out there. Well, I guess I would wrap up to say just as far as having a completely new life. I mean, this is not a life that I would have planned out. You know, I was climbing the corporate ladder. Like I said, I was, you know, I had certain goals in mind. I was never going to be dependent on a man. That was for sure. And here I am. I haven't had a paycheck in 24 years with my name on it. Uh, I just don't know what's best for me is the bottom line. I don't know what's going to make me happy. And, uh, and I don't know where my life's going to lead. You know, I have to tell this story when I was about 25 years sober. My sponsor who still lives in Dallas said, Oh, I want you to come to this workshop. It's put on by this therapist. She's in recovery. And it's really cool. It's on a Saturday morning. So I got a group of women and we went down to Dallas to this workshop. And 
we walk in and it's the same therapist I had my first five years of sobriety. Mm. The one who said I was the most difficult patient she'd ever had. <laughs> and I saw this woman every week for five years, sometimes twice a week, sometimes in groups, sometimes in retreats. I, I saw a lot of her. And uh, we walk in and we all sat in a circle. There were about 20 of us. And we had to go around and introduce ourselves and give a fun fact. And my fun fact was that this woman, the therapist running it, had 12-stepped me 25 years ago. Wow. And she just got the blankest look on her face. And we spent the next few hours together. She never could recall me. She did not recognize me. Wow. I had changed that much. And so it, it is possible. I don't know what you're going to change into. I don't know what I'm going to change into. But I do know that I can change by coming continuing to come to this program and continuing to work the steps. That's great, Debbie. I am really glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that my mishap on the recording happened. Me too. Uh, I, uh, it, 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 it's not that I didn't want to publish that, but I'm glad we were able to do this kind of more one-on-one -on -one and a more relaxed sort of setting and uh, I, I, I appreciate you appreciate everything that all your service for Alcoholics Anonymous uh, appreciate you as an individual and thank you for coming in today thanks for having me I'll just wrap it up here with page 164 from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous it says abandon yourself to God as you understand God Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Debbie, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Debbie, thank you very much. Thank you. Debbie, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in here and spending time with me in Studio A and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And if you are out there listening, remember, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love it if you pause your device and share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. Anthony posted in the Super Secret Facebook group. He says, I am attending. This wasn't to, this isn't written to me, it's written to the group, and he just posted it in there. He says, I am, I am attending my first in person meeting tomorrow. Keep me in your prayers. I can't believe how nervous I am about this. And he got so many comments, likes, feedback, encouragement. It was just fantastic to see from the group. And then Anthony posted as a follow-up. He got a picture of the AA meeting schedule in Raleigh, North Carolina that he picked up. And he posted that in the group and he said, first time ever, exclamation point. I, I left feeling loved and welcome. Thank all you guys for your prayers. And, I, and he just got so many comments again and, uh, you know, just so many people encouraging him. And Anthony, God bless you. Thanks for posting that in there and keeping us 
abreast of your journey. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I'm glad you made it to a meeting that is, uh, gosh, just made my day. Okay, so here is a little bit of listener feedback. I, I have rarely done this. I don't think I've ever done this, in fact. Uh, I was in a I was in a meeting myself the other day uh, at the Frisco Group, and several friends of mine uh, came up as I was actually leaving the meeting, and it was Ricky and Joan and Jason and Amy, and they said, "Hey, we were just talking about Joe." Muck. Uh, J- Joe was Joe M was the or Muck, however you want to put it, was the uh, a couple of episodes back and about how much they they absolutely loved him. And and they were, you know, big thumbs up. And Jason in particular went, look, it's live listener feedback. <laughs> I said, that's fantastic. I love to hear that. And I hear a lot of offhand comments every once in a while about the podcast, and and I rarely put them on. You know, I wait. I can hardly remember the, to get the things in here that are actually written down for me, uh, much less things that people tell me kind of uh, one off. But uh, anyway, because of that, I am going to. I said, "Would you like to hear more of Joe Muck?" And they were all like, "Yes!" <laughs> and so I'm going to reach back out to Joe Muck. And have him uh, get some, if he's willing, get some time with him back on the schedule. So thank you, Ricky, Joan, Jason, and Amy for your wonderful live listener feedback. (laughs) All right. Marlene writes in, actually, I think it's Marlena. Excuse me. Uh, She says, hi. Hi, John. My name is Marlena and I'm an alcoholic. Only through God's grace have I been sober since the 8th of May, 1994. And I started my step work three months after this day and I have never stopped doing the work. I want more. I'm sponsored and I sponsor other women. I have a home group and I live in Sydney, Australia. She's an Aussie. She says, I have been married to my loving husband for 55 years. Congratulations, Marlena. Then she puts in parentheses, no credit to me. We had children Uh, We had two children and we lost both. Oh my goodness. In recovery, she says, and one through cancer at 48 years and one through schizophrenia at age 43. My goodness. And then she says, but we have three very special adult G kids. I'm assuming that means uh, grandkids. She says, I fell in love with AA from the very start and I never fell out of love for it. Members have passed me off every now and then, but I'm I'm never bored or tired of our 36 principles. And just in case you don't know what she's talking about there, that's the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and the 12 concepts. She says, I've been on Zoom meetings everywhere around the globe, but mainly in the U.S., a meeting a day at least. I have joined a few mailing lists who keep me informed with meeting flyers, etc. I'm also not 100% able-bodied now. I love KDP together with so many, but but so many of the other speakers. I listened to Ricky W. I think she means Rick W. The other day and through and found him through his website. Uh, and through his website, I found Sober Speak. Yeah, this got to be Rick W. I also love listening to AA speaker tapes. Hope my waffling 
has not bored you. Much love and blessings your way, Marlena, with a big butterfly emoji. And your waffling did not bore me in the least. Thank you so much, uh, Marlena, for writing in. Uh, waffling, like, so I, when I picture the word waffling, I, pi- I picture people kind of going back and forth on a particular uh, subject. I, I, I don't know. I, I have to go look that up. Thank you, Marlena, for writing in. And you know, I'm not actually going to look that up, right? I, I just, I say stuff like I'm going to look it up and then I forget it. Uh, but, you know, my intent is good. <laughs> anyway, Campbell writes in and he says, well, here's another Aussie. He says, good day, mate. Well, good day back at you, Mr. Campbell. He says, I'm Campbell from Brisbane, Australia. Tomorrow, I am seven years sober. Yeehaw, Mr. Campbell. That is fantastic. He said, I found your podcast by searching sobriety on CastBox. For those of you who don't know, that is a uh, podcast player. But anyway, he says, I know the Spotify for my podcast. Hmm, I don't know exactly. Maybe there's a typo there. He says, I have enjoyed all of the speakers so far. I love hearing other people's recovery. The great parts are the struggles. And it reminds me, I'm not the first or last person to have to deal with whatever is going on in life. Yeah, I call it uh, just being another bozo on the bus there, Mr. Campbell. And he says, thank you for a great podcast. Thank you so much, Campbell. And once again, congratulations on your seven years and good day, Mike. Um, Susan writes in and she says, hi, John, I found Sober Speak during the pandemic. I remember in April of 2020, I was hand sewing masks and listening to your podcast hour after hour. Oh, very cool, Susan. She says, I have changed over, or I have over eight years clean and sober, and I love AA, the fellowship, and how the steps have changed my life and the whole life of my family. We recently moved to San Diego County in California, and I listen to your podcast here and there. I always resonate with David G and Bill C, and I would love to hear more women who have long-term sobriety, love what you're doing, and appreciate you. All the best in 2022. God bless Susan S. So, you know, thank you for writing that in. And and I don't, you know, sometimes I don't think about the 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 diversity between men and women and everything else that I need to be thinking about. And I just kind of take what comes to me, if you will, easy, you know, things that kind of fall on my lap, people that I'm referred to and all that kind of stuff. So I'll have to, uh, uh, I'll have to keep my eye out for some, no, we have a lot of women on here, right? With long-term sobriety, but I'm thinking about some of the, the guests that we have had, uh, and, you know, coming back many times and they generally are of the male variety and I get what you're saying. So thank you, S. Susan. I appreciate it. Susan S writes in, uh, wait a sec. No. So this is a different Susan. And, oh, I remember this. This was somebody. So <laughs> there's somebody in, uh, Australia and other Aussie and, uh, her name is Aya and she posts something in the secret Facebook group and she's communicating with somebody else about where she's located in Australia. And, 
Aya says, oh, I'm sorry, this, this, this is something different. It had nothing to do with Susan S. That was just her signature line. My, my, so Aya posted in the, fo- the Facebook group and she says, she's, like I said, she's talking to somebody else in the Facebook group. She says, yes, yes. She's talking about where she's located. She's, yes, yes. It's just a stroll. Bondi is about 900 kilometers south and a whole time zone away. And then she says, <laughs> I just found this amusing. She says, she's talking about me. She says, isn't this fella, <laughs> me, just the most adorable source of light? I like it. He's a little bilingual glowworm, he sure is. And then she's got an emoji of a glowworm. And then she says, it cracks me up to, to no end. Hope the shindig. She's <laughs> she's talking about our uh, <laughs> our live event was a spiffy event. <laughs> she says the greatest words. She says, "Can't wait to plug it into my ears when it's up. It sure is a good life, don't you reckon?" Question mark. <laughs> She says, these podcasts sure add a sparkle to mine. Well, thank you, Aya, once again for your uh, wittiness in the super secret Facebook group. I, I really appreciate it. Paul writes in and he says, hey, John, thank you for the podcast in your encouraging words. Oh, okay. So I remember this, just a little background on this. Uh, Paul had written in on at one point and uh, he wrote an email. I replied, uh, I think I was a little, I'm really not the best at at email. I have people who write me really long emails sometimes, and then I'll, I'll like reply with two words, and I feel really bad about it. But nonetheless, I just have so much time, and I'm just not good at the writing part, is what it comes down to. And so I think he had thought I was a little bit curt, but then I, I read it on the podcast, like I'm doing now, and put a lot more explanation on it. And, you know, uh, I, I can't even remember what I said. But anyway, he said, thank you for your podcast and your encouraging words. And, and he had a whole different perspective on, you know, my thought about it. He, he says, I now have a home group and I have a sponsor at last. Please keep up the great work you are doing. Quick question, which podcast do you talk about step four? Paul S. from Colorado. So I do, so there's, there's, if you want a particular subject that you're looking for, I mean, there's a couple different ways to do this. If you go to our website uh, and you click on podcast and then there's a little hourglass or no uh, magnifying glass, I think that's what it's called. And you can like type in a particular word and then you'll get the search results. Like I typed in step four and I sent him those uh, uh, results back. If you have a podcast player that lets you actually search episodes in that way, you can do the same thing. But uh, anyway, those are the two best ways to go about that. But Paul, I'm glad you have a sponsor and uh, it looks like you're going on to step four. And that's so cool. And a home group, man, you are cooking with gas as they say, right? Thanks for writing in Paul. Priscilla writes in and she says, hi, John, I just celebrated one year of sobriety today. Fantastic, Miss Priscilla. That is 
Uh, oh, no, no. She just say on today. She said on uh, November 8th of 2021. And I want to thank you for the podcast. It is, it's been such a blessing and a source of strength for me. We also had our third child. I'm not going to say his name or date, but he, she says his name and on what day he was born. And she says, it's been a wonderful year. Your friend, Priscilla. Well, Priscilla, that's fantastico. And uh, congratulations on your your new welcoming, your new member to your family. And uh, that is fantastic. He gets a sober mama. Oh, that's so cool. Clinton writes in and he says, Hi, John. I love the podcast. I just stumbled on it about a week ago on Audible. Oh, gosh, I'm on Audible? <laughs> I didn't even know that. And I've been binging the episodes ever since. I'll have to go check that out. He, he says, I think every episode I have listened to has spoken to me in some way, but I have specifically enjoyed the episodes with Charlie P. and David G. Charlie's commentary on the second surrender has been kind of revelatory to me and has real. I like that word, by the way, Clinton. Very good word to me. And really really helped me to see where I have been missing some things. Please pass on my thank you to Charlie and my contact info, uh, if he can, uh, and uh, and if he has time to reach out. Keep up the great work. So thank you so much, Clinton M. And as you know, Clinton, I uh, replied, uh, copied Charlie on it. Uh, I hope you guys are making your way, whatever you're doing. So, but uh, but uh, thank you so much for writing in. Adrian writes in and Adrian says, and as Adrian, I, you know what? I think last time Adrian wrote in, I thought it was possibly a she, but I'm pretty sure this is a gentleman if I am not uh, mistaken. I guess we'll see here as I actually read this podcast or I actually as read this uh, piece of listener feedback. Adrian says, Hey, John, your podcast is very, very inspiring to me and God Thanks that for all I listen to it every day. And of course, I identify with many of your speakers. It came to me on the episode where the guy was flying back home and had a craving to drink Bailey's. Oh, he's talking about Greg C., the episode we did with Greg. Uh, so he called his wife and told her that he did not want to give up on AA sobriety family. This is how insane I was as well. Anyway, I'm a Romanian who's living in the north of Germany in Hanover City. And as you may imagine, I'm an alcoholic as per the big definition. It was never enough, and I drank from the first time alcoholically. My whole life, I tried to control this, but I finally joined AA, and I lost my privilege to drink. Funny it is that my wife's father is an alcoholic, and I always wondered how on earth she married me. Big smiley face. I'm 51, two daughters, an IT engineer, and I joined AA since five years ago, but really in recovery since two years ago when I did what I've been told by my sponsor, 9090, the steps, etc. By the way, I'm in a, I'm in a step 
I'm on step nine today, and I'm making amends to my wife. So God help me! <laughs> Exclamation point. He says, "But you know about what, uh, how the oh to the wives is written in the big book, and that we alcoholics have the chance to get the best wives on earth." Agreed, there, Mister Adrian. And that's correct, John. By the way, on Friday I also listened to the episode with your wife, and it's an and it's amazing, man, how we are recovering. I think to me, step one was very important to be clear that I have a disease. I can't drink. Life is unmanageable. I hated this word because I was sure I could manage everything. And I have AA tools to avoid the first glass. It was hard, John, in the beginning. I never imagined my life without alcohol. I don't know how to live, how to behave, and I had a big void in my life. Anyway, my dear friend, as as I used to say, joining AA was the most brilliant idea which I ever had. And honestly, if you ask me today, I will not drink. Uh, big smiley face. Take care, Adrian. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for writing in. And uh, God bless you. And uh, man, what a story. And uh, I hope the amends with your wife went <laughs> as you uh, thought it would. <laughs> Jude writes in. Hey, Jude. Get it. Hey, Jude. Oh, I'm sure she's heard that about a billion times in her life. She says, Hi, John. I'm Jude in Austin, Colorado. I heard about you from Father Bill W. in a workshop, I believe. A powerful message there. I'm both AA and Al-Anon. I love listening to the longtime speakers. Thank you so much for all of your good work here with big appreciation. May God bless you and keep you, Jude. Well, Jude, What a wonderful way to end the podcast, and may God bless you and keep you until then. Oh, maybe I should use that kind of like as a, you know, like a a tagline. That's very good, Jude. Uh, I hope you don't mind me possibly stealing that from you, which, I mean, I know it's from the big book, but, you know, you just kind of set off something in my little pea brain here. So anyway, may God bless you and keep you until then, Miss Jude, and everybody who's listening out there. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I take this one week at a time, hoping to be back next week. So, so far, so good. But you never can tell. Anyway, I love you guys. Oh, and if anybody needs to get a hold of me, I am at John, J-O-H-N, at Soberspeak.com. J-O-H-N, at Soberspeak.com. May God bless you and keep you until then. (laughs) Bye-bye.